welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. No science advisor, Matt Moniz. No psychic medium, Stephanie Burke. They are both out uh, with other projects tonight, but that's okay. I'm here with you to talk about the paranormal, as I am each and every Saturday night. And tonight, we have a pretty exciting program, especially if you are in the paranormal field. I don't know how much it's going to uh, appeal to those of you who... Uh, are not paranormal investigators. But I know a lot of you out there aren't, and you still like to listen anyway. And you like to have that inside look into how this whole world of strange and unusual uh, phenomena and the investigation of it actually works. Well, you're going to get really inside tonight. Because tonight we're going to be joined in a little while by Alex Matsuo. She is uh, one of our favorite bloggers, one of our favorite writers who is out there putting together articles about not only paranormal topics such as, you know, what is the nature of some of this phenomenon, but she's also keeping an eye on the people who investigate it. And she's written a couple of very interesting articles for her website over the past couple of weeks that I think will... Uh, it'll definitely resonate with people who aren't paranormal investigators. And then those of you who aren't, you'll say, wait, what? What's going on here? Because it is, uh, it's an inside look at exactly some of the motivations of paranormal invest, not all, but certainly some of the people that are involved in it, as well as, uh, some of the, um, misconceptions we'll say, about getting involved in the paranormal, some of the things that you think will happen by doing so. So uh, we'll, we'll take these articles that she has written and we'll go through them, uh, all these items that she's written one by one. I start, There's one that I definitely want to cover all the topics within. The other one we might talk about a little bit more generally just based on time, but there's, there's certainly enough in both articles for us to pull apart. So let me just give you the basic titles of the articles and if you follow spooky south coast on twitter at spooky sc if you like spooky south coast on facebook uh, then you will see that i shared out links to the articles Uh, i put one link in the main article and then i put the other one in the comments but the the main article that we're going to be talking about tonight 15 things paranormal investigators should stop making a big deal about Now, all I had to do was read that title, and I was already shaking my head. Yes, in agreement, nodding in agreement, because these are a lot of things that plague the social media. I'm I'm sorry, I just was reading that on the paper. These are the things that plague the paranormal, quote-unquote, field of the people that are out there trying to do this work. And there is... A delineation between a lot of what happened pre, you know, TV paranormal boom and what's going on now. That's not to say that everybody that's in it now is in it because of a TV show, but it certainly, excuse me, it certainly polluted the field with people that said, oh, here are these regular everyday people just like me. You know, the first big U.S. TV show of this paranormal boom. And and we can go through it all and we can say that it was 
you know, the X-Files that really kind of kicked this off, that it was Art Bell that kicked this off, that it was sightings, that it was uh, fact or fake. You know, you could say that it's never actually gone away, that it's always been here, and that's what's actually happened is the fact that more niche cable channels is what's really led to more niche cable programming, and as part of that, the paranormal is, is within that realm. So there's a lot of different ways that you can look at this and say, here's how we got here. But if you have to just give everybody a thumbnail sketch of what happened, in 2004, when Ghost Hunters premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel, there were people that were always interested in the paranormal, like myself, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend to have been a paranormal researcher before I saw that show. There are many paranormal researchers out there who will do just that. They will say, oh, you know, I've been in this field for 75 years and I'm only 53. Uh, but, like, that's the, the problem is that everybody's kind of overinflated their credentials. That's one of the things that we'll get into a little bit later on with Alex when she joins us. But the, 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 the need for credibility has led for people to stretch their credibility. And I don't have any qualms with saying that when Ghost Hunters premiered in 2004, I was a 26-year-old guy who had always had an interest in the paranormal, had had paranormal experiences, read books, watched movies, watched documentaries, listened to the radio, you know, and, and heard these kind of topics. But I didn't realize... You know, I, I, I knew about paranormal researchers, but I didn't realize it was something the everyday average person could do. You hear that somebody is a parapsychologist, you, ex, you assume that they are schooled in parapsychology. And I kind of said to myself, well, I went to school to learn, you know, I wanted to become a, a writer and I studied English. Maybe I should have gone and studied parapsychology. You know, you tend to learn later on that there's not a lot of places where you can do that. And there's a lot of people who are parapsychologists that aren't. They just call themselves that. So, but, you know, you don't know any of this stuff when you're, when you're really looking into it. And you're reading books, by the way, that were written 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. One of the problems at that time was that, and it's still kind of a problem to some degree, the major books that you could get when you walked into a Barnes & Noble or, a, you know, we had Borders back then around here. Like, when you started walking into all of those bookstores... The major problem was that all the sh books that were about paranormal research were older books. You know, Brad Steiger books, Hans Holzer books. You're reading stuff from, you know, that's probably outdated and also reads like these people were special for what it was that they were doing. Not that they were trying to inflate themselves, but they had to give themselves a, an air of credibility. They had to give themselves an air of authority with what it was that they were doing. And then the other side of it was just collections of ghost stories. So you didn't really have books that were like a how-to. You know, there, there was no, you know, complete idiot's guide to ghost hunting at the time. There was no ghost hunting for dummies at the time. Now we have both of those books. But those, and, you know, one of them only came out a couple of years ago. But there was no real way to get into it. So then Ghost Hunters comes on the air, and here are these two plumbers from Rhode Island. The way that, you know, they were portrayed was like that's all that they did. 
you know, but these these were two Renaissance guys that were into a lot of different things. But you know, they're just portrayed as regular everyday blue collar people. Uh, and and listen, I've gotten to know them both over the years, and and that's exactly what they are. But at the same time. You know, they were people who were serious about the paranormal and looking into it. So that made it suddenly become accessible to everybody. That everybody watching that show, no matter what they did for a living, they said, if these two guys that work for Roto-Rooter can start a ghost hunting group, so can I. And in fact, those two guys that worked for Roto-Rooter and had a ghost hunting group built a network of other ghost hunting groups. So now you got into it. And you were worried about getting that credibility. Well, your group applied for membership in the TAPS para family. And if the, the TAP, well, the TAPS family, I think it was just called. But if you get into the TAPS family, then that gives you that credibility. And it doesn't matter if you are an auto mechanic or a nurse or a lawyer or a teacher or whatever it is that you do for a living. You're now a paranormal investigator. So it opened the door for anybody to be able to do it. And that's good and bad. It's a double-edged sword because now you've got everybody who has an interest in it having the opportunity to go out and look for it, but not everybody that has that opportunity and takes advantage of it is necessarily doing it in the right way. And we've been talking for years about trying to have standards and protocols. We've been talking for years about trying to have uh, some kind of uh, how-to manual uh, some kind of, oh, what's kind of the word I'm looking for? You know, authoritarian overview, some kind of uh, uh, governing body so that if people wanted to get involved in this, they would be, they'd have to answer to somebody. But unfortunately, that's never worked. It has been tried numerous times. It has been started with the best of intentions. Pe not what you would expect where it's people who are, you know, looking to control the situation. Where it's people who are looking to, um, you know, make sure that they're positioned at the top. It wasn't anything like that. It was just people with the idea of saying, let's have a way to have oversight, and be able to lend some um, suggestions and constructive criticism and all of that stuff so that if we wanted to further the field, we could. Now, the problem is, is every time you try that, there's a small pocket of people that just think that because they choose to do this, they should be immune to any kind of criticism. That because they are willing to give up their free time, because that's what this is. This is a hobby. This is not a career. This is not a, uh, it's not a job. It can become a career and it can become a job for a few select people, but generally that's not what it's going to be. And those people, this is something that we'll get into, I think, a little bit later on when we talk about the second article, 12 Ways to Make Money in the Paranormal. Actually, it'll probably work its way into the first one, too. But... The people who make money off of this are not making money just because they are a paranormal investigator. I have a nice, you know, second career for myself that involves the paranormal world. And I get flack from people all the time 
because I quote-unquote make money off the paranormal. But I don't. I make money off my ability as a writer. I make money off my ability as a researcher. I make money off my ability as a person who can talk and give uh, informative sound bites and information. I make my money off somebody who can stand before an audience and give a presentation. That's what I am paid for. The topics that I choose to discuss in those situations are paranormal topics. Nobody paid me to write a book. Two books. Well, book and a half because the second one was you know, co-written. But nobody paid me to write those books just because I'm involved in the paranormal. They paid me to write those books because I sat there and I wrote thirty to 60,000 words. And it, it, it gets a little blurry sometimes when you say to somebody, sure, you want me to go to your paranormal convention? Oh, you don't need me to give a lecture? You just want me to sit at a table? Oh, well, yes, but I still have to charge you for that because, you know, I can't devalue my product like any other business. I can't devalue myself and say, well, I'll do it for you for free and then go and tell the next person, you know, I'm going to charge. Now, it's a little bit different with conventions because some of them are for fundraisers and for nonprofits. So, you know, when it's something like that, you always are giving up and, and donating your time. And there's some conventions where I've said, you know, I'll waive my speaker's fee if you're going to pay for my travel and my lodging and all that. That's all fair and that's all negotiable. You know, it depends on what it is and how small it is and where the money's going and all that kind of stuff. But if somebody wants to put together a paranormal convention for the sake of making themselves money, because the people who are putting on a lot of these conventions, they are for-profit enterprises. They are designed to have a place where everybody can get together and talk about paranormal things. You know, when we're in a regular, normal world and we can actually do those things. But they're designed for everybody to get together and like-minded people can talk about topics that they're interested in. And they can socialize. They can learn from each other. They can trade ideas. They can, they can talk about different equipment. They can do experiment, whatever. And a big part of it is, you know, just the camaraderie of being able to all get together. But you mean to tell me if the man or the woman or the people that are involved in planning that thing are going to charge people $25 to get in and they're going to charge people, I don't know, $100 for a vendor table, whatever it is, you know, all that stuff. And at the end of the day, they're going to walk out of there with money in their pocket, hopefully. You know, hopefully they didn't go in the red because they didn't turn enough, uh, you know, sell enough tickets. So I can't ask to be paid for my time. So that person is going to get my whatever I brought to the table and make money off of that. And I don't get a piece of that. Of course, people should be able to charge for appearances. And in fact, one of the biggest problems in the paranormal world are the people that are going to those for-profit conventions and not charging the organizers. Because they want to give themselves a, a false pedestal to stand on. And they say, well, you know, I'll come and I'll talk for free. All I want to do is be featured as a speaker and put on the poster and all of that so it looks like I'm important. But I'll pay my own way and you don't have to pay me and I'll even take you out for dinner. That might be extreme. I don't know if anybody that's done that. I'm just being facetious here. But that is part of the problem because now you're devaluing anybody 
that has a value tied into that. And I'm interested in a lot of topics. I'm interested in a lot of things. I worked for over a decade as a sports writer, as a professional sports writer, covering the Celtics and the Patriots. I was there when the Celtics won their last championship. I was in the locker room as they were celebrating. I've covered the Patriots since after, right after they won their first Super Bowl. I could be focusing all my time and energy, and I used to, on being a sports writer. And I made TV appearances as a sports writer, and I was considering writing a book, but I ended up not doing it. You know, but I could have done that, and I could be out there lecturing, uh, you know, the same way I lecture about the paranormal at libraries. I could be out there doing that about sports and sports writing and talking about the history of, you know, local sport and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't. I chose the paranormal because that's what interests me the most out of anything. So this idea of, you know, that anybody can do it and that because anybody can do it, everybody should be equal is one of the biggest problems that goes on in this. There's no other pursuit, interest, hobby, genre, field, whatever word you want to put on it, whatever label you want to put on it. There's no other one in the world where everybody is expected to be on equal footing no matter what. That just because somebody goes to medical school, actually, no, to be honest with you, we have to take that out of there. That's like comparing somebody who went to medical school and then went through the whole process of becoming a practicing doctor. They're out there working as a doctor at a high-class hospital and then here's somebody else that's never studied medicine that just decides to start referring to themselves as a doctor and says, come on by, you know, this, this tent that I've put up outside stop and shop and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll take out your hernia. That's what we're dealing with. And so until people see that discrepancy, there's going to be a lot of unnecessary back and forth, a lot of unnecessary drama and a lot of unnecessary feelings being hurt. That's not to say that the person who is not trained and experienced and, and uh, you know, just getting into this, that they don't have a place in it. They absolutely do if it's something that they want to do. But just understand, you can't decide on November 1st of 2020 that you're going to get into the paranormal world and call yourself a paranormal investigator, and then by November 21st, start complaining because you're not seen on an equal playing field as the other people that are involved in it. And I know I rant about this quite a bit, but the rant has to be done. The rant has to happen. The rant needs to be reiterated again and again. Because we are at a point where we've got people that have a lot of time on their hands. They're not out there investigating as much as they used to because a lot of places are closed or there's places that have cur COVID curfews like we have here in Massachusetts. There's places where paranormal investigators can't get out and spend their free time investigating. So instead, they're all hanging around on social media. And they're all getting into arguments with one another over dumb stuff. Like, 
Why is that person on TV and not me? There are, I, I don't, I, I don't want to give a number because I don't know for sure, but I would guess thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people who consider themselves professional actors. And then there's maybe 10% of that number who are actually working actors that are on television. And you don't have this huge upcry of all these actors who aren't working saying, well, why does that person get to be on and not me? They know what it is. It's opportunity. And the opportunity, if you keep working hard, will eventually come. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes you can be the very best at what you do your entire life, but the wrong people, uh, the right people never come along and see it. And that's just life. That just happens. But you can still keep working hard and you can even try and put yourself and make some opportunities happen for yourself. But you can't begrudge somebody else an opportunity because you didn't get it. And the other aspect of that is why is this person on TV and not me? And we can get into this with Alex. Uh, she's on the line now. We can get into some of this with her as we go along. But maybe they're on TV and not you because they're better at TV than you are. It's not for everybody. I've done it. And I think I'm decent at it. I'm decent at giving them the short answer that they're looking for so they don't have to cut a whole bunch of stuff out and I give them insightful things because I, I like to think about the things that they're asking me and I've, I've got a lot of thoughts to convey about it. And let's face it, this is what I do. I talk. So I can give them what it is that they're looking for. But I also think I'm the stupidest looking guy on camera. So when I don't get an opportunity to be on a TV show, that maybe they were looking at me for something and they decide not to. And I, it's not something that I pursue, but I've had opportunities that have come along. And if I don't get it, I don't get upset. I'm basically like, well, you know what? I wasn't expecting to get it. I know I can give them the information they want. I'll reach out to them and say, hey, would you like me to work behind the scenes uh, and support, you know, as a, as a writer, as a researcher and, and give you my knowledge, even though you might not necessarily want to put me on camera. And sometimes yes, and sometimes no, whatever. But I don't get upset because... Listen, it's a very fickle business. It's always been a very fickle business. And you never know why somebody gets the opportunity and somebody else doesn't. Unless they come out and tell you why. You never know. All right. Well, that will be the end of my little rant because now we're going to take this into the discussion phase. We have our guest, Alex Matsuo, joining us on the line. She has her website, alexmatsuo.com. That's A-L-E-X-M-A-T-S-U-O.com. And uh, as I said, I put up the links on social media if you want to follow along with these articles as we talk about them. Uh, but we also will... Uh, open up the phone lines throughout the discussion if you want to chime in about these topics. Now, don't call in and take it to a different discussion. Uh, you know, Lamone, I love you, but don't call in and derail the conversation tonight because we've got a lot of t uh, topics that we need to discuss, a lot of these items that we want to get through in the time that we have. So I would really prefer it if you called in with questions, thoughts, comments that related directly to these 
articles we'll be talking about. Also, one more ground rule about it. Let's not call up to call anybody else out. Let's not name any names. I mean, I might. But I don't want you to call up and be like, well, you know, Matt Moniz of this paranormal group screwed me over. Like, that's not what this is all about. We're talking about things in an abstract basis, not about particular cases. Although if you have a particular case you can talk about in an abstract way, that'd be welcome. But this is not designed to take shots at everybody. So let's bring on one of my favorite minds in the paranormal, one of my favorite people that looks into these things and also one of TikTok's favorite people that is in the paranormal world, Alex Matsuo. Alex, hello. Are you there with us? Hey, Tim. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on tonight. Oh, you know how much I like to talk to you about this stuff. It's just you're always <laughs> so busy, so we don't always have the chance to, to connect on things. But I read the stuff that you write, and I know that the audience is always checking out the stuff that you write, too. Uh, w- one of the things that I'm going to ask you kind of right out of the gate is, you know, you published the 15 things paranormal investigators should stop making a big deal about. You published that uh, about a week ago. And I'm wondering what the reaction has been that you've gotten from people on it. I'm pleasantly surprised. A lot of it has been positive. Uh, majority has been positive. And what's also been ironic is people have been sending me their own personal stories with uh, the different points in the article. And they're saying, like, people who are the biggest perpetrators of some of these points are sharing the article, too. And they're finding a lot of irony out of that. And I find a lot of irony out of it, too, because I also think about, well, this resonated with you clearly, but did you look inward to see if any of these applied to you? Which, maybe not. <laughs> so it's, it's been interesting to gauge the, the response of it and... Um, it clearly, it spoke to people. It was actually one of my most popular blogs for the month, and I've been getting a lot of positive feedback from it. I've gotten a lot of requests to be interviewed, and with you included. And like you mentioned, I'm busy, but I picked the ones I wanted to do, and yours was one of them. <laughs> well, thank um, you for that. Yeah, so it's been it's been interesting, and like I said, most of it's been positive. I've gotten a few negative responses, which. I just don't engage when that happens. Sure. And uh, I think someone called me condescending. I think that was, that was the word condescending and um, high and mighty. And I'm like, I guess if that's your interpretation, that's fine. Um, that wasn't my intention, but I also think these points are something are things that need to be said, uh, especially right now in the paranormal community. So, well, I mean, yeah. listen, I, I'm somebody who I'm, I'm an editor for a living. And I'm somebody who is hyper aware of when somebody writes something that comes across as as condescending or, uh, you know, something that comes across as sanctimonious. And I didn't get that from this article. I mean, I got it from a very, it it came from what seemed to be a very common sense perspective. And it was Mm -hmm. in a way where, you know, you were writing about it in in a way that doesn't sound accusatory. But what it sounds like to me is it sounds like you had the people who know in their hearts that they're guilty of these things, lashing out at thinking, you know, if you think that the article is about you, then it's about you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, yep. and, and, and the other part of that, too, is it might have even been the people who were praising it <laughs> that might have felt it was about them, too. Like, oh, let me mm-hmm. tell her she did a great job before she thinks that, you know, I think it's about me. But the 
the, the fact of the matter is, like I was saying, this is written from a perspective that it's almost like rather than being for people that are in the field, I mean, I know when it's it's addressed right in the title to people that are in the field, but it almost reads like it could be a, hey, you're just getting started in this. Here are the pitfalls to avoid falling into. Mm-hmm. So what, what made you decide to put it together? It, it, I'm sure it was something that was brewing in your mind for a long time. Yeah, well, I you mentioned my TikTok account and everything, and I really, you've made, many people have noticed I've gone through a rebranding with me in the past year, uh, as you can see with like the spooky stuff and everything, and I've unexpected, unexpectedly found out that I'm attracting an audience of Gen Z and younger. Like I'm talking to like preteens and teenagers on social media with their parents' permission, of course. Um, and they want to know all these things about the paranormal field. And I mean, we're talking the next generation of ghost hunting here and big thing. Like many of them have bought my book, which has been amazing. And so I'm noticing, and you know, when you're looking at your analytics and everything with, you know, websites and stuff, I'm really starting to notice this trend of my audience is getting younger. And so with the, with the idea in mind of, holy cow, the next generation of paranormal investigators are reading my, my material, I need to really shape up my content and start going at it from, hey, this is what's a thing in the paranormal. Don't get hung up on these things. Um, just trying to make it more accessible to people, um, especially new people and everything. And because uh, I've been noticing a lot of gatekeeping in the community as of late, especially when folks like Stormy Daniels is getting into the field and there's just this really like adverse reaction to it. Um, and just new people in general trying to get into the field, but it's again, gatekeeping or they feel like really overwhelmed with, Oh my gosh, how do, where do I even start with this? And it's, it's been, it's been a ride and I'm thinking, well, what can I do to, to make people feel more welcomed? Like they can come take a seat at the table and how can I do that and make and write material that's, you know, at a high level so you don't have to have, like, a science degree to understand it. You also don't need, like, a degree in psychology to understand it. Um, yeah, it's just, make it, just trying to make everything more accessible because, like I said, uh, the, the next generation of paranormal investigators are becoming preteens and teenagers and they're on the Internet. Right. And I, I also think part of it is that those those next people that are coming up, they're coming up differently than the people, you know, I, I, I went off on my, my little rant there at the beginning about the people that have come into this since ghost hunters started and I'll include myself in that, but you know, I'm not out there calling myself a, you know, a, a paranormal investigator all the time. I, I use the term researcher because I just don't get to go out on that many investigations, but you know, the, the younger generation that's coming up, they didn't grow up in the, the 2004 to 2015 ghost hunters era, you know, they're learning about this from different programmings and from, and maybe not even from, from television at all, you know, maybe from your TikTok or from most of them from YouTube. So it's mm -hmm. a, it's a completely different mindset and a different type of investigation. Exactly. And I've noticed as I've started to get more into TikTok and I've talked to other people in the paranormal community, I'm like, hey, have you tried going ahead and over to TikTok? And a lot of them, and I don't know if maybe this was politically motivated, not to, I'm just dipping my toe in that. I don't want to get deep into that, but they're like, I'll never touch TikTok. 
And I'm like, well, why? Why not? Um, I mean, <laughs> the one thing is with TikTok, it really makes you condense your content. I mean, because you have at the most a minute. But you also have to hook in your audience within the first, like, two seconds. Uh, so, and plus it gave me a chance to kind of poke fun at myself a bit. <laughs> um, you know, so, some people have probably seen the video of me just wearing a white bed sheet and lip syncing to crazy and doing like this back and forth thing. And it's one of my most, it's one of the most popular videos or my demonic farts video. Um, it, it's just to, just to kind of draw these kids in. Um, and it's really made me change the way that I use social media now. Um, going from a, hey, come look at my stuff, to, hey, here's what I know, here's what I've experienced, let me impart this onto you so you don't have to go through the same stuff that I went through. Because you're right, they're watching different stuff now. I mean, they got some TV, but YouTube is a big one. TikTok, I mean, gosh, one of my favorite paranormal investigators is on TikTok, and he has over like 100,000 followers now. Um, and, and we're, and then we're creating content in a different way. It's not the, the, the interview style anymore. It's not sitting there on YouTube just, you know, talking and showing investigation videos. People want a bit more than that now. They just want something different. Right. Um, and, well, part of it is this is the people that are going on YouTube, you know, the younger generation going on YouTube to consume paranormal content, they're not watching, they're not going on there and being like, let me watch this, you know, old episode of Ghost Hunters that somebody uploaded illegally. They're going on there and they're watching these, you know, um, the stuff that's made by the content creators just for YouTube. You know, the people mm -hmm. that are out doing the exploration video, the Urbex videos, you know, all these different types of things that are more you know, direct and about the experience and not necessarily about the history. And then mm -hmm. the other part of it is with TikTok, you get none of that around. You just get somebody, you know, giving you the evidence and yep. the people that use it that way. Some people don't, you know, some people aren't like, here, let me play you this EVP real quick. You know, some of them are just making humorous content or, or, or you know, just interesting content in that way. But then the, the problem is if you're looking at it from the investigator's perspective, there's also a great deal of stuff on TikTok that is obviously phony that's being hashtagged paranormal too. So it, in a way, like for somebody like myself, I just, I don't like the platform, but uh, I'll probably reluctantly have to get involved in it at some point. But to me, it's more of a matter of, well, how do you know what the difference is between what's real and what isn't? How do you know the difference between what's valid research being shown to you and what's somebody, you know, writing a, a creepypasta in video form? Yep. And actually, me and several other of the really popular tic paranormal TikTokers were starting to make videos. Because uh, on TikTok, you can do something called a duet or you can do a stitch where you can basically have the video playing and you can react to it. And those are some of those are those are becoming really popular videos now because we're sitting there and we're saying, "Hey, so this so the store that keeps slamming back and forth, this doesn't happen on the field." So we're actually so we're able to t break it down as it's happening, whether it's through a caption or through our own voice, and we're we're really starting to get on this. Hey, um, most of the stuff is fake. Paranormal TikTok, most of it's fake. 
Um, one woman on TikTok just got busted for using a string to make a doll move. And everyone, like all of the, the big paranormal TikTokers are jumping on her for it. So I'm really glad that the, the really popular accounts, they do think very critically. And, they, and not just that, but because there's a fine line between coming across as a snob or elitist and, okay, this is interesting, but this isn't accurate according to my experience. And that's how I approached one of my latest videos where the creator of the video commented on my reaction saying, because the video was, footsteps, door handles jiggling. And my big thing that I said in my reaction was, why aren't you calling the cops? Cause this sounds like a person walking through your home. Why are you running to your bedroom and hiding under the covers? Why don't you call the cops? And she commented on it saying, why would the cop, you know, handle a ghost call? And the beauty of TikTok, I can make a video out of that comment. And I basically said, Hey, I'm so glad you responded. I have a couple questions for you. You know, what steps did you take to rule out uh, an intruder in your home? And that got a lot of comments and some really interesting conversations going. So I didn't isolate or alienate the creator of the video, but I was able to put something out there that made, that invited everyone into a, a conversation about it. So there's, there's a tactic with this. Sure. Um, yeah, there's a tactic to it. And, and really, that's what this article, 15 Things Paranormal Investigators Should Stop Making a Big Deal About, that's what this should be, is it should be a conversation starter, too, because, it, you know, you have to look at the way that some of these things come up within your own group or within your own paranormal work and realize, like, oh, I didn't think about it this way. I didn't think look at it this way. Because a lot of the things that are, you know, listed here in the article are things that you could say, uh, you know kind of happened organically and then nobody really kind of looked back at them with with 2020 hindsight mm -hmm. like you know and we'll get into it but you know you mentioned celebrities getting involved like stormy daniels and people are like well that's a bad thing well but not really because the whole reason this took off was because some paranormal investigators became celebrities exactly so, I mean, we, you know, if, if you want to really get serious about it without, you know, Harry Price, Hans Holzer, and Ed and Lorraine Warren being like the, the Mount Rushmore of it, without them getting on every television show that they could and into every newspaper article they could, most of us wouldn't even know that this was possible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean... I'm I'm thrilled that Stormy Daniels is in the community, and I actually ghost hunted with her a few weeks ago, and I would put her up against any other paranormal investigator I've worked with. She was really she was really good. Um, she was good at what she did. She was very respectful. Um, made sure that she didn't taint herself when it comes to information. I thought she was fantastic. Um, I mean, when Rob Lowe came out with his short-lived shows, uh, The Lowe Files. I really liked it because it was not necessarily him trying to be this paranormal expert, but more of I'm going to go ghost hunting with my sons. And having more celebrities involved in the field is a very positive thing because it makes people feel more comfortable with their own paranormal experiences, too. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to go off on, on too much of a, of a side uh, note here, but the Stormy Daniels thing bothers me. 
because a lot of the the negative reaction toward it is because of the fact that she's a woman and who she is mm -hmm. and what she's done outside of the paranormal world that are making people upset about it because you know if 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 um I'm trying to think, you know, well, you, you know, you had mentioned Rob Lowe, but, you know, we get some of the pop star stories, you know, that Kesha's into this stuff, uh, mm -hmm. or, or you find out that there are other celebrities who want to, you know, you know, they have what, uh, Ghost Hunters had the people from ECW on, they had Meat Loaf on, you know, celebrities getting involved in this have always been kind of a thing and nobody really get. people might make a few offhand comments about it. They might scoff at the fact that, you know, all of a sudden Ozzy Osbourne's kid's a paranormal investigator on TV and now Ozzy's doing it too. You know, like people might joke about that, but there's not the vitriol like there was against Stormy Daniels. And, and, and I think that that's unfair because a lot of that, is being misdirected uh, and it's and it's misogynistic and it's really because there's a large portion of people in the paranormal field that are, uh, let's just say, uh, on the side of a person who is not on the side of Stormy Daniels, so they're letting that reflect their opinion of her. Yes. Um, not that Stormy Daniels' background even matters, but if, if people think that she's the only adult entertainer in the field, I mean, I have some bad news for them. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the comments that I saw was, you know, well, one, like just making some really disgusting comments about her body and all these things. And I'm sitting here like, and one person was making comments about how her shirt was revealing in one of the photos when you couldn't even see any cleavage on her. Oh, you know, on her. there was nothing. She was dressed very modestly in that shot. And I'm like, so basically any woman wearing this outfit, you would, would you have a problem with, um, you know, it's like, is this how you feel about women or is this how you feel about Stormy in particular? And it, the Sony's comments made me very uncomfortable as a woman in the paranormal. And it was, oof, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's, and, and, it's funny how much things have changed because, you know, I've been doing this show for 15 years and 15 years ago, I might've been, you know, Oh, the sexualization of the paranormal and the women that are going out there and doing photo shoots and they're wearing whatever they want to wear, you know, and I've just learned over time that it, it's not my place to comment on that. You know, mm -hmm. if that's what they want to do it and, and if that's, you know, it shouldn't affect what I think about them as a paranormal investigator. So it took, you know, I had to mature a little bit, in that regard, and I think the field overall has to. But the other thing that bothers me about that, too, is, like, if you look at somebody like Bridget Marquois, who, if you didn't know who she was or what she did before, you would think that she is one of the most, you know, positive, uplifting, just a delight, delightful person, awesome person, and, and they look at her and... You know, you, you hear her tell her paranormal stories and the questions that she asks when she's interviewing other paranormal researchers and everything. You're like, wow, this this is a really cool person. And then you would find out, oh, yeah, and she also lived at Hugh Hefner's mansion. Oh, well, geez, what's she doing in the paranormal world? You know, like we yeah. just let that one little thing change the entire way that we look at somebody and, and it shouldn't. Yeah. And it goes back to the way women are presented in media and, and just also... Uh, how misogynistic is our world still is um, where we still judge that profession. Um, it's, and actually I play softball with uh, Kendra Wilkinson. Um, so, and she went to high school right down the street from me. So, I mean, I, I knew who she was growing up and this was even before she was famous. And um, so, I mean, I think people forget, and I think this is because of just how, media in that industry is, is there's 
a desensitizing of someone's humanity when they're in this. And it's, 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 it's fascinating. And I find that crosses over into the paranormal quite a bit. Well, I mean, so. I, I also look at just the, the general paranormal group dynamics and I realize that we're still stuck in a bit of a misogynistic way because here's a field that is predominantly female. Uh, you know, I don't have any statistical numbers on it, but I'm just guessing that it's, you know, more female than, than males that are involved in it. Uh, but you see, especially in the early days, maybe things are changing a little bit, but a lot of the groups were male-dominated. You had women that were going out and forming female-only paranormal groups and having to make a big deal about that when really they shouldn't have to. Uh, you know, it's one thing if you want to promote yourself as that, but you like you you shouldn't have to use it as a gimmick to get yourself, you know, taken seriously. And then even so, even if you had groups that were mixed uh, gender in them, you had um, usually a, a male-dominated aspect of that group, that the women were coming in as the psychics, the mediums, the, the angel, yeah. you know, the people that talk to angels, like, you know, they, they weren't the scientists, even though a lot of them probably had more science background than the males that were running the groups. And, you know, if you had a lot of times, if you had a female co-lead investigator, it's only because she was married to the male lead investigator. Yep, exactly. And even to, even today, um, I mean, I put this challenge out in the beginning of 2020, but that changed because of COVID, that I wanted to see more paranormal cons have 50-50 representation with, between men and women in the field. And I, 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 I'm a little disappointed because, so, you know, they're starting to announce lineups for the 2021 um, event season, and we're still having this huge difference between, like, we've, like one one event had like sixteen guests on their poster. Four of them were women, and three and of them I'm are like, probably mediums. Yep, exactly. I mean, when when are we when are we going to have a TV show that's led by a female who is the lead investigator, lead investigator, um, and who's not a medium and who's not a witch? You know, it's it's crazy um, that we're still not there yet. And it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Um, I mean, my team was all female at one point and we were getting scouted for a TV show by a British production company. They pitched our show. Travel channel was not interested. Discovery was not interested. TLC was interested. But right. look at the demographic of TLC. Right. I mean, and that was that was part of the problem. I mean, I had I was writing treatments for possible series, uh, and and I was working with people who were um, well known names. I mean, I was writing treatments for people who are on TV now and are female, and but the you know the show was going to be female focused. And I was told by the production companies, not even getting to the point of the networks, like we can't pitch this because that's not what they want to have represented on television. That they just felt like if you have a show that's all women, the only people that are going to watch it is are women. And right. that then they're cutting out half the audience that they could be having. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. And there are a few shows that are completely male-dominated, and I think, I, and, I, and I, I'm not a fan of this idea, but I feel like those are going to be the shows that's going to have to usher in this new type of TV, like whether it's a guest spot or um, some sort of feature, I, I'm not sure, but I feel like these shows that are super popular that 
you know, male dominated, all male. They, it's gonna, it's, and they are right when it comes to the audience. I mean, they're gonna, ha- we're gonna need help to usher in this new, this new type of show. And really, it shouldn't be a new type of show. <laughs> like, right. Well, it's, it's just the female. The, 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 that's a whole different thing. And we only have about two minutes here before we'll take our news break. And when we come back from the news, I want to start getting into breaking down these items. But, uh, you know, one of the problems that I've, I've noticed with paranormal television is, uh, ghost hunters started in the early years. They would bring in guest investigators, people from local paranormal teams to join in the cases. And then they got away from that. And part of that is it creates an idea of, well, what's going on that they won't let somebody from the outside come in and see what's going on. And I know that that's not the case. The real reason why they don't do it is because it's so hard to bring somebody in that doesn't have TV experience and throw them into a TV production and expect them to, you know, it it bogs things down. So it's like, why do we need to do that if we can just do it, have them, you know, we can interview them during the interview process and then just get to the investigation. So, but it it does create that in in the viewer's mind, like, wait a minute, they used to let people in, but then they stopped. And now I'm reading all this stuff online about how TV is fake, you know, so it kind of lends itself to some of that speculation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, I, you know, and I heard you mention before you brought me on, you know, talking about people with TV experience, it's totally true. I mean, some people just do not read well on camera and nothing against them. It's, it's just how it is. And it's nothing personal. Right. Like I've, I've been doing this show, as I said, for 15 years and there's lots of people that have asked me when I'm going to have them come on and, and be on the show. Not everybody can come on to a radio show and talk for two hours. And, and if I, if I put you on when I know that it's not something you can do, I'm only going to be setting you up to fail. And I would never want to do that to a friend. So, all right. Well, we do have to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll get into this article, 15 things paranormal investigators should stop making a big deal about. We'll also talk about the other article. Uh, if we have some time too. 12 ways to make money in the paranormal, you can read both of those right now at alexmatsuo.com, Alex M A T S U O.com. Go on over there and you will be able to read both of those during the break. Uh, we have, you know, about seven minutes for the news during that time. You could certainly read these and at least have an idea about what we're going to be talking about. But we'll present them to you uh, and we'll get Alex's thoughts on each one when we come back with more Spooky South Coast. Flying solo tonight, but I do have on the line with me my guest tonight, Alex Matsuo. She writes at alexmatsuo.com, and we're going to be talking about this article, 15 Things Paranormal Investigators Should Stop Making a Big Deal About. Just want to take a moment, though, and uh, and just let the audience know that today uh, we had a memorial service for a, a good friend of the program, longtime friend of not only Spooky South Coast, but of WBSM. Uh, regular WBSM listeners, you know her as Dirty Deb. That was the name she gave herself. She would call in all the time. She didn't call this program quite often because she was usually uh, home and, and uh, you know, winding down her night when she would be listening. But she would listen. 
because she would always call me, especially when I worked in the newsroom. She would call me uh, on Monday and talk to me about what I was discussing on the program. And she would always say the same thing. I don't know how I feel about all that paranormal stuff, Spooky. You know, she called me Spooky. She says, but I love you anyway, so I listen. So, uh, you know, kind of miss, you know, just knowing that Dirty Deb was there listening and, and knowing that she was out there. So all of you who knew her and loved her calls, uh, she was very unique and uh, very missed. But I will just tell you, the memorial service went perfectly today. It was a beautiful day, uh, even though she probably would have hated all the fuss about her. But... Um, Right at the end of the words that were being given as part of this memorial, a big giant dump truck drives by, and that's that was Dirty Deb's business. So you you couldn't you couldn't have timed it better. It worked out perfectly, and uh, and I just wanted to let everybody know that we we celebrated her life today, and we will always do that here. You know, she was wide. She she knew about all kinds of things. She listened to all kinds of radio, and uh, and she always found the stuff that we talked about here on the program fascinating even if she wasn't somebody that was going out and investigating for the paranormal, which I know a lot of you out there don't do, but you are interested in hearing about the people that do. So we're going to get into now this article that Alex has put out. Again, 15 things paranormal investigators should stop making a big deal about. And by making a big deal, Alex, do you have like a, a you know, a, a, is it just, you know, stop whining kind of thing? <laughs> um, stop whining, but also stop focusing on it so much, um, stop putting so much emphasis on it. Well, that's, that's certainly fair. So let's get into these uh, one by one. And the mm -hmm. uh, now, were these put together in, in, in any kind of order, or were you just you know, going with what made sense in the flow of what you were writing? Like, you don't, you don't really weight one as being something they need to stop you know, complaining about, stop making a big deal about more than another. No, um, I just more uh, ordered it just based on the flow of it. And there, there, were, there were times where like the CCTV one was at the top and then I moved it down. And so I, I just moved things around to see what the flow would be like and what worked best. Well, I still think it's very appropriate at number one to have egos. <laughs> but it, it goes both ways. You know, it goes in a sense of not only stop having an ego, but also stop paying attention to the people that do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep your, you know, just do your own thing, <laughs> you know, do the, do the work. Um, and I really liked the point you made before I came on when you were talking about, um, you know, having the TV show, which I know we'll, we'll touch on a little bit, but, um, ego is such a big thing in this field. And it's one thing to have confidence in what you do and to be secure in yourself and what you do. But it's another thing when it turns into you tearing down other people because your ego is so big. And that's a common thing in the paranormal. And I've run into this a lot, especially um, just having simple conversations with Facebook pages that reshare my artwork, but they don't credit me. I was going to put in copyright infringement, but I'm actually working <laughs> on something separate for that because uh, it's a problem in the paranormal. Oh, it is, yeah. It's a huge problem. And I found that the pages that were bigger or had a bigger following were really difficult to work with. Um, like one page kept sharing the images I made for my team. And initially my team contacted the page first saying, hey, thanks for sharing our stuff. Would you mind crediting us? Because you're getting a lot of shares on this. You're getting a lot of comments. Can you just credit us in the caption? And they got blocked. And so then I, I intervened and I said, hey, 
I'm actually the one who made this image. Would you please credit me or my team, please? Because um, otherwise, I mean, usually we don't have a problem with it. It's just please credit us. Again, it it was got I it got ignored, and so I reported the images as copyright infringement, <laughs> and they got taken down. <laughs> yeah, as you should. I mean, the problem is, is there's you know there's paranormal radio shows that are stealing their logo from you know businesses. You know, like yeah. from, from actual business and like you, you, you can't do that. You can't operate under the mindset of, well, you know, I'm just a small time, you know, paranormal podcast. Nobody's ever going to catch on. They will catch on. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you, you will be found. Um, and I, and I think with, with the problem with a lot of these bigger pages is they think, oh, I have, you know, 200, 300,000 followers. You can't touch me. It's like, no. If the person can prove that they're the owner of the image, Facebook especially will act on that. Like, and it's not worth the the strikes against your page because Facebook will take your page down if there are enough strikes against you, um, whether it's your page or group. Um, so it's like no one's too powerful for copyright infringement laws. <laughs> It's so not a thing. I want to I want to ask you something, and and again I'm going to put stuff out there tonight, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm talking about you in particular. But then also I go back to if you think I'm talking about you, I am. So mm -hmm. the, the the that's the real disclaimer that I want to put on this. That I'm not saying that it's bad. I look at things differently than the average person does. I am in media. I am conscious of. Uh, the, the way that things look, I'm conscious of the optics of things. And so I might look at it in a way that it might not bother anybody else. And maybe when I throw things out to Alex, she might tell me that she might say, listen, you're the only one that would really zone in on that. So it's not really a thing. But one of the things that I've noticed, and I, th I think it's a bad look is that there are a lot of people who are now getting speaker spots at conventions based on the fact that they were on one of these recreation shows for 30 seconds telling their story. And mm -hmm. now you're getting, like, not only are they showing up and, 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 and getting speaking spots or, or, or you know, quote-unquote celebrity spots, but then they're, you know, they got the banners as seen on. And it's like, but nobody remembers seeing you on there. They might remember the story, but they don't know you Am I overthinking that, or is that something that they need to do to make sure that that story keeps standing out in people's minds or that they make that connection, that that's who they are? To me, it just looks like it's an ego thing. Yeah, that's a tricky one, too, because there's that fine line between, like, self-promotion and being obnoxious about it. And, I mean, I, I, I had my short little stint on Most Terrifying Places in America, and I actually have another TV thing coming up. I think of, and I can't disclose what it is yet because it's up sure. and coming. Um, but it was, and I initially wasn't going to make a big deal out of my travel channel appearance because I'm like, that's a horrible camera angle for me for one. <laughs> <laughs> like they shot me from like a lower angle. So it's basically, it's my double chin and my nose hair telling the story. Um, I've and, been there many times myself. Oh my gosh. And, but I noticed, I started getting treated differently. Like once I had that stint on TV and it was bizarre and that's not my first time on TV. I mean, I came from, I came from the entertainment business. I was a child actor. I mean, I was one of those kids, you know, trying to get on Nickelodeon Disney channel growing up and I was in theater and I'm actually, um, I was 
about to join the actors union when I was, you know, when I relocated to North Carolina. And it was just so weird that like once this shift happened, like all, like all of a sudden I was being looked at as an authority and I'm sitting here and I'm like, I, all I did was tell my story. Having a camera on me for five minutes doesn't make me an expert, but people see it that way. And I find it so weird because in the acting world, it's completely different. Like if you get an extra spot on, like I was an extra on Veronica Mars several times because they were filming it at my college. Like the, the regular actors are the ones with like the magazines and the newspapers in their faces because they don't want to be seen as the extra. <laughs> like we're, we're sitting here like we don't want to be labeled as an extra in the business because that could very well be our fate. Right. Um, but here, like in this community, it's like, oh my gosh, embrace it. I mean, there is a, there's a guy in the convention scene around here who was a walker on The Walking Dead and people are lining up for autographs with him and I look at him and I'm like, I don't remember which episode you were in. Yep. And with just one episode, he was an extra. Um, so I think that's just a thing too, just in the con scene in general. Um, there was actually a really funny comic of like an author, you know, sitting at a table with books, sitting by himself, but he's next to a table where it's like an extra that appeared for 10 seconds on Stargate. <laughs> and it's, he's got like a line that's going out the door. Right. And so, I mean, it could have been the person, you could have the person that wrote the source material that's based on something and is the genius behind the whole thing. And then next to them is that extra and that person, you know, like you could put Robert Kirkman next to one of those people that played a zombie for 10 seconds and yeah. half the people that are there wouldn't even know who Kirkman was. Yeah. And it is so weird. It's, it's, and I don't think it's just a paranormal thing, but like, it's like the status changes and, you know, and I actually, I had, I had some money to throw away, not throw away, but I bought a banner, just a retractable banner uh, for really cheap because it was on sale with my picture. And someone told me, you really need to put an as seen on this. And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, it boosts your credibility. I'm like, huh. Okay. That's weird because I've written several books and... I've been on the field for about 10 years-ish, you know, doing residential cases and stuff, and I've worked with a lot of different people, but I'm like, so the TV thing, that's, that's it, really? Not, like, my education, not my background, not my books? Okay, that's... that's I, I always feel funny about that. Um, and a part of me is like, oh, you should use that to at least guide people in the right direction, but at the same time, I, I hate that culture. I hate that my little stint on travel channel made me this authority for some people and the show I'm going to be on in the winter is one of those, like I tell my story and, and it's going to be reenacted. And that frankly terrifies me for one, but I just had the experience and I'm telling you the story. And that's, that's it. I mean, I'm not sitting there telling you like what a ghost is. I'm not, you know, talking about my background, my education at all. I'm telling you about an experience I had. And that's something like most people have had. They've had a paranormal experience. So it, it's just, it's, it's odd. Right. TV's odd. I, I mean, I, I have the banner uh, with with the things, the projects that I've been, work, uh, been on. But, you know, it's things that I've, I've written. It's, you know, I wrote Ghost Stalkers. I wrote Ghost Asylum and Haunted Town. So mm -hmm. it's like that kind of stuff. And, and this program, uh, it needs to be updated. But, 
I wasn't going to get one. And then a friend actually bought it for me for Christmas and said, you know, you have to have one. And I was like, well, I guess. And then I got it. And I was like, well, this looks nice. So, like, I can understand, you know, having one. Uh, but, you know, you're talking a little bit, too, about kind of that, that, that popularity, that following. And that leads right into number two, which is social media following. And you actually make a, a pretty interesting case in this for something that a lot of people might not understand, that, you know, the, the numbers of people on social media doesn't carry as much weight as it used to. No. No, not in the age where you can buy likes. I mean, I could pay $40 to a third-party website and get 10,000 followers on my page tomorrow. Um, but, and, I, and this is kind of a crossover between that article and, the, and ways to make money in the paranormal. Um, since my social media has grown a bit, I started getting offers for brand deals. Um, a lot of large companies are really looking at micro-influencers, meaning having at least between 1,000 and 10,000 followers, it's less expensive for them to advertise with micro-influencers. And it's because we already have that built-in audience of no like and trust. You know, people see us and they trust our opinion. Um, but when you're putting together a media kit for these brand deals, they will ask you, what is your engagement rate? They don't really care about the number of followers. They want to know how many people engage with your content and engage with you. And if the percentage is off, they're not interested. Uh, it's one thing to have, like there's a page that has like over 200,000 followers on Facebook. By the way, if you ever want to know what the engagement rate is on a Facebook page, you can actually do that under your insights. You can add pages to watch. This page is over 200,000 followers. They're, they only have four, maybe 400 people engaging with them per week. Right. Meanwhile, I have almost 6,000 followers on my Facebook page. And just this past week, 5,200 people engaged with my content. So that's a huge difference. And I'm, I'm actually in a really good place for brand deals because I have, I have about an 80% engagement rate. So people look at my stuff, they're engaging with it. And granted, I do share it. Uh, I do make sure I share it across different platforms. But people are choosing to comment on it, like like it, because that's really where the, that's the engagement rate. That's how it's looked at. You have engagement rate with likes and comments. Um, and then you have your reach, which reach your impressions, and that's just your content appearing on somebody's timeline. Um, so, and if you buy likes, you're making the Facebook and Instagram algorithm work against you. Right. Uh, when you first put out content, Facebook and Instagram will show it to your followers first. And if they engage with it, then Facebook and Instagram think, oh, this must be good. Let's push it out to more people. But if you buy your likes, most of, majority of those profiles are fake. So if Instagram and Facebook are showing your content to those fake profiles and they don't engage with it, well, then your content's not going to be pushed out. It's almost like you're flagging yourself and you're paying for the algorithm to work against you. Right. You were just interested uh, in having that number look a little higher when people looked yeah. at it. Yeah. But then, but then no one's engaging with your content. And it's, it's literally like buying likes, but also follow for follow is no longer effective. Um, I mean, there's somebody on TikTok, a paranormal person on TikTok that, they get maybe 10 views on their videos and it's literally just selfies with music, but they have almost 700 followers and I'm like, okay, how's that possible? But then I look at their profile and they're following almost 3000 people on TikTok, And I'm like, 
okay, well, that's how you've got that. It's a follow for follow situation. But when then when you look at the at who's watching your videos, that's not that's not it's not anywhere near where you need to be. Right, and, and it's, it's never beneficial to have more that you're following than people that follow you. I mean, that's a that's a red flag right there to to most most people looking at your social media. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, TikTok has a creator fund. You have to have ten thousand followers, and you also have to have ten thousand video views per month. I'm at about I'm I'm at 50, almost fifteen hundred followers now, and I've surpassed the ten thousand video views per month. But that's because I'm putting out content. Um, I'm putting out content and my followers are, are growing. So I'll eventually, I'll probably get there within the next few months. Um, but that's where the engagement rate sits. Um, that's, you know, you want to, you want to create something that's quality that people want to engage with and make them hit that follow button. Um, and it's, it's more than just putting just, it's more than numbers. And the, the other thing too is like people are like, well, you know, if I put out my evidence on my YouTube channel, you know, nobody's ever going to see it and nobody, you know, how are these, and again, we'll get into this, but you know, if I want to get on TV, you know, the TV production companies are never going to see my evidence. They will. You don't have to have a lot of followers. I mean, I've had multiple people reach out to me over the years of, of over stuff that we put up on the spooky South coast page, you know, and, okay. and that's what caught their attention because you just want to make sure that you're keywording it right. And, and that's what they're looking for. So if they're looking for, you know, real evidence of the paranormal and they're, they're going to filter through all the crap of just people putting stuff up and tagging at that for no reason, but they will find it. And you don't have to worry about like how good it looks. In fact, you know, for the most part, Here's the the dirty secret about this is if it's something that you're looking if you're looking to build your social media following because you think that's going to get you on television, it won't. It actually works against you to get on television because if you come into to a TV production and you're like, I've got six million Twitter followers, they're going to be like, okay, so basically we're going to be subservient to you and your Twitter following. Yeah, no thanks, we'll pass. We'll go for this mm -hmm. person that we can control and have them be, uh, you know, subservient to what we want to do on social media. Exactly. Um, the, I mean, the video that got me on most terrifying places in America, it was just a historical research video that, that was on my team's YouTube channel, and that had less than 200 views. Yep. The, a producer for the show just happened to find it. And that's that's how it works. I mean, I've, I've, I've probably been reached out to for like... Uh, like 15 productions over the years. And it's always been because, you know, they found the radio show or they found YouTube. It's never been because they saw me on another show or they saw me on an event poster or whatever. You know, it's always like, hey, I looked into Spooky South Coast and I really like what it is that you guys do, which means they watched like three minutes of two episodes. But, you know, they, but that's, that's how they found it. They found it because they were searching for it, not because I was trying to throw it in their face. Yeah. Well, it's like when I had my appearance on the Gray Effect, which is uh, or the Gray Gray Area, um, which is Sasha Gray's show. Um, oh, hello. Uh, actually, what? What? Hold on. What? <laughs> Sasha Gray. She, she actually has, has her own talk show um, on Ven TV, which is kind of like a, it's kind of kind of like MTV, um, and it's a very much a love line type of show. Um, and her producer reached out to me. Because of just some content they saw on Instagram. Well, now I have a new career goal. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, it was funny because that also was the same week that I went ghost hunting with Stormy Daniels. And I'm like, 
Huh, this is an interesting, delightfully <laughs> this odd. Is, yeah, circumstance. this is taking a different turn than I expected to. Yeah. Uh, just, just to kind of move on, so we can make sure that we get to these. Uh, the next number is uh, the next number is three, and it's online classes. This, you, this, you brought up a good point because there is a dichotomy here about being able to offer online classes. Mm, yes. Yeah, this is this. So I, I get where people come from where they say like, oh, someone's just trying to make a quick buck with online classes or, I mean, any class that, off, I mean, offering a certificate in the end, I mean, I've taken classes on Udemy to learn how to um, use Photoshop and I get a little certificate at the end. <laughs> you know? um, I, I'm in the world of online learning. I actually developed e-learnings as a career. That's my career choice. It's not on the paranormal. It's about, you know, tech. Um, so I know how hard it is to create training um, and online classes. And now, I mean, are we talking about Amy Porterfield status where, you know, you're charging like $2,000 for an e-learning? Eh, okay, maybe that's a little pricey. But I don't think there's anything wrong with offering online classes because one, it's not like they're forcing anyone to take these classes. Um, but two, I mean, you have, you have to have the time you're, you're paying for the time that the person committed to developing the e-learning. The person also has to pay for the hosting for that. So there's teachable webinar jam. Um, there's all these programs. And if you look at the prices of these, of these platforms, they're not cheap. Um, I think I want to say webinar jams like $500 for the year. That's for the year. Uh, Teachable is a little bit, this is about the same. It's not a little more expensive. It's around that area. Um, but I mean, if you want to learn from a certain person and they just happen to offer a class, that's awesome. And for me, I know, you know, that's my time is super tight. I'm always getting asked if I can teach classes. I've honestly considered, you know, pre-recording a course and making it available for purchase, um, mainly because I don't have the time to dedicate Wednesday nights for six weeks to do a class. Right, um, and then the, the money goes toward the what you had to spend to be able to record that and, and put it out yeah. there, and yeah. Exactly, exactly. So um, it's not a quick buck. It's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of work. Now, I mean, if, now someone's advertising it as, oh, this is a license to be a paranormal investigator, and it might be a little shady. But a certificate of completion, that's, I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, well, yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, as long as people realize that if you are, if you, even if you want to pay to take a course and you want to pay to take a course that gives you a certificate at the end because it makes you feel like you've accomplished something, great. But just realize that that paper doesn't mean anything because yeah. a, a, a diploma doesn't mean anything. A, a degree from a college doesn't mean anything unless that organization that you got it from is accredited. And if you are not yeah. an accredited organization, it's just, you know, I'm a universal life church minister or whatever it was, you know, the, the, yeah. the one that they did online that used to be free. Now they charge you 25 bucks, but I did it just because I could, but mm -hmm. I can't marry anybody legally because it's not an accredited uh, ordained, you know, ministership here in Massachusetts. Yeah. So some states you can, some states they don't care. But you know, so that's just it. Just a piece of paper that I get to joke about. 
You know, and that's what these things are, is it's just a piece of paper. If that piece of paper matters, great. But it also doesn't mean that you, you know, if you go and take a Reiki course with somebody and they give you a certificate, yeah, that's a nice thing to go and hang up in your Reiki practice because now the people that come in know that, yes, you went through this process. But in terms of a paranormal investigation, nobody's ever going to ask you, you know, before you go to come into their house or their business, well, can you show me, you know, uh, can you show me your diploma? Yep not going to happen. So, and, and, and if you real, by the way, too, if you are going to be somebody that puts one of these out at the end of your, um, at the end of your courses that you're giving, take it seriously. If you're going to give them a piece of paper, don't give them something with like a little cartoon ghost drawn on it and all that kind of thing. If you're making a big deal out of that certificate, make that certificate a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, we're getting now into number four, which is probably, you know, the kind of the, might have been 1A if, if they were actually getting ranked. Uh, and that's getting on a TV show. You know, you have here in boldface something that I know you and I have talked about before here on the program, something that I've talked about many times on the air. Paranormal reality television isn't marketed to seasoned paranormal investigators. And that's the hardest truth that everybody has to swallow when it comes to paranormal TV. Oh, yeah, especially when people get angry, like, well, I've been in the field for 30 years. Where's my TV show? It's, this show is not made for you. It's not made for your colleagues. It's made for um, average Joe coming home from work, turning on the TV, and it's something to watch. Um, it's, and it's an entertainment business decision. It's, you know, they're not going to put just anybody on TV. Like you mentioned, they're going to make sure that someone has, a, has, has TV presence and they and they look good and sound good on camera um it's it's very much a well it's it's a world where the entertainment business it's very much the entertainment business it's not the paranormal business um and maybe it's because i grew up in the business but i was taught from day one that re rejection a part of it. A rejection is a part of life. It's a part of your TV or TV movie acting career. You're not going to be the right fit for everything. And you have to learn how to deal with it. Otherwise, you're not going to survive. And maybe it's because I grew up in that world and I'm still in that world. I mean, I'm still an actor uh, for theater. I've just learned, like, if someone else has that opportunity, then it's like, awesome cool, good for them, I wasn't the right fit, but man, people in the paranormal community get so, like, traumatized from not having an opp their opportunity to, opportunity to be on a TV show, it's, and I just don't know, maybe that's just something that they don't know, or they're, maybe they don't have a good handle on how the entertainment business works, it's, it's, and, really mind-boggling. And also, what is the value of doing it either except to feed your ego? Because what happens is, okay, I worked on Ghost Stalkers. That was the first TV show that I worked on as the, the writer and the researcher. And I can tell you right now, that show starred two of the best names that they could have gotten for the show for different reasons. John Tenney is the best mind in the paranormal world. Uh, and is somebody that everybody in this field looks up to. And then Chad Lindbergh was a noted actor who brought in, you know, the audience from Supernatural, brought in the audience from Fast and the Furious. You know, he had a following, uh, but he's also a paranormal investigator. Like, they didn't bring him in because he was an actor. They brought him in because he was a friend of Nick Roth who was interested in the paranormal. That was a good fit to working with John. Uh, but mm -hmm. 
that program had two people that were much more important in this world than I am. And those two people made less money per episode than I did. And they had, and all I did for that show was stay home and make phone calls and, and interview people and do research and write notes and just send everything over email while they had to give up weeks and weeks of their lives, go out on the road, live in an RV, all that kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. You know, they made less than I did. And and that's the, the sad thing about this is you to, to be on a paranormal TV show, you're probably going to have to quit your job because your job is not going to let you just take six weeks off to go film a paranormal TV show that may or may not get another season. And then you're not going to get paid very well. Uh, everybody looks at all the different things that Zach Bagans is able to buy. Zach Bagans buys all that stuff because he's the executive producer of that program. And he's signing production deals with the network, not we're going to pay you to, to be the star of ghost adventures. It's, it's bigger than that. It's goes beyond that. So, and he's also the number one ratings getter in the entire genre. So, you know, you're not going to be. So the, the, the fact that people think that they're going to somehow get rich off of it, in actuality, you're going to make a couple of thousand dollars and you're going to lose a couple of thousand dollars that you probably could have made at your regular job. And you're also going to be paying for a lot of the stuff that you need on the road out of your own pocket. Yes. Amen to that, because that's a big thing, because um, uh, I've been asked, like, you know, if you could drop everything and be on a TV show, would you do it? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, I love my job. I love my day job. I have benefits with it. I have a 401k. I have job security. I'm not going to compromise that for something that may not even last a full season, and <laughs> um, I mean, granted, when I had my last TV appearance, I mean, they gave me a nice little per diem and they paid for my hotel and stuff. But even so, that's that's not something that I would drop my life for. It's it's not it's not realistic. And then after the show's over, and you don't have that TV spot anymore, then you're the one that's working your butt off to to go to all these paranormal events and so that you can keep making the money that you were making before, which again, probably wasn't that much in the first place. And and that's not a guarantee. That's not a great uh, fallback plan for if your show gets canceled either, because if, if that's the way that you're going to do it, you always, the, the also part of the dirty secret is sometimes you get booked for things and then you don't get paid because the person doesn't make any money and then they're coming up with a bunch of BS. And you know, there's, there's been a lot of that that's gone on where, it's turned into, uh, you know, lawsuits, and now that lawsuit's going to cost you money to try to chase down that money. Like, it's not, there, there isn't an infrastructure in place where you can say, let me give up my life and the job security that I have now for this. It, you have people that are able to do it because they work for companies. Like, listen, why do you think Roto-Rooter had no problem with Jason and Grant taking weeks off from Roto-Rooter to go film that show. Every single episode was a commercial for Roto-Rooter. You know, they had the ultimate product placement in that show. Uh, and also, how much of it were they really Roto-Rooter plumbers anymore at that point, too? But that, that's a whole different thing. And then, mm -hmm. you know, the, the other part of it was, you know, like, okay, season one, yeah, okay, they still are out there plumbing because nobody knows where they are yet. But by the time you get to season four, they're not really plumbers anymore. And, and so that's part of, you know what the other side of this is, is that you might not be in a circumstance where a production company says, okay, let's get that person. They might say, eh, it seems like, you know, your situation is not going to be a good fit for this. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I've, 
I was lucky that I was on, you know, the entire season of Hotel Paranormal, but I filmed that all in two days, you know, because that's a different type of show. I didn't have to be out on the road for weeks. The only time I ever considered doing a show that I'd be out on the road, that I'd have to film over multiple weeks was because it was one that was going to be filming here where I live. And so I would, mm -hmm. I would be sleeping in my own bed every night, working my day job and just going and filming at night. Yeah. But... You know, very few people can give up their entire lives for this. And then, like you said, you're going to be chasing down convention appearances. You're going to be constantly trying to get another show on TV because you don't have one anymore if it, get, if it gets canceled. You know, and it's, it's very hard to get into the position where you can say, okay, now I'm Jason Hawes, Grant Wilson, Amy Bruni, Adam Berry. I'm a producer as well as the star of the show. That doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. all right, well, we probably, we probably railed about that one enough. Let's move on to another one that is a huge problem in the paranormal. I was caught up in this for many years in the, 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 the clarion call for power unity. And now my position is it's the worst thing that's out there. Power unity oh. is a myth. And if, even if it could happen, it would be hurting the field. Yep. <laughs> it, I, oh gosh, I'm not a fan of Parity and I find that the people who, who scream the loudest about Parity are the biggest perpetrators against Parity. Mm -hmm. It drives me nuts that I feel like we're rewarding behavior that you should already be doing anyway, like just be a decent human being. <laughs> um, just be a decent human being. There's nothing to do with para-unity. I mean, it's not like we have theater unity in the theater world. Um, like it, The paranormal seems to be the only community that has this. And really, I just think it's a cop-out for ac accountability. Um, or it's been used on me as a manipulation tactic of, hey, friend me and join my group. If not, then, you know, this is bad para-unity, you know. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Nope. Nope, nope. I mean, I hate it. That was perfectly put, and I like the analogy to theater. Basically, what para unity would be from a theater perspective would be that uh, you know, uh, let me think of a, of a play that I'm somewhat familiar with. Okay, you're putting on the Little Shop of Horrors musical, and mm -hmm. you got selected to play Audrey, but now we should also let you know somebody else play Audrey too because she wants to. And she's an actor, too, so why can't she play Audrey? Why should you be the only one that can play Audrey? And now we have two Audreys. How much sense does that make? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, that, that I mean, that's... The, 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 the other problem with, with the Power Unity idea is, is it, it supposes that everybody is equal, and everybody is not equal. You can't come into this and do a crap job and then say, I'm just as good as the person that does the best job. Amen to that. Uh, well, I mean, we could we could certainly do a whole episode just on that, and we, <laughs> we've done that in the past, so uh, we'll just kind of move on. And is it okay if we go a little bit late, Alex? I know I told you we'd be done at midnight Eastern time, but... No, I'm good. Okay, because yeah. I might want to just go a little late just to cover all of these. Uh, the next one is number six, differing opinions. What? Wait, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, we have to stop worrying about that, that people should have differing opinions? <laughs> yeah this one and this kind of goes comes down to the whole accountability thing um but you know people will ask for opinions of hey you know i got this photo what do you think of it and then when people say well it might be lens flare or anything then it turns into this 
you're just closed-minded and you're you're not seeking the truth or you're an unbeliever and all this other thing all these other things i mean you would think that like this person upset is like their ancestors <laughs> you know um i mean different opinions are going to happen and happen everywhere in our lives if someone disagrees with you it's not a personal attack um, and also I know text can be hard to decipher, you know, on social media and stuff, but I've really had to reframe my mind and say that I need to assume the best in everybody when they do offer me feedback and not get so defensive. And that's actually been really life changing for me because I've had way more amicable interactions with people since then. Um, if someone's questioning my content, then I know it's not necessarily a, an attack on me directly. It's just, you know, they're just wanting to know more information. Um, but gosh, I, I don't, I don't know what it is about paranormal people, but, and it's kind of tied with para unity. It's like, if you disagree, then obviously I, it's, they think it's because they think you're a bad person. Well, and yeah. there, there's a little bit of, you know, some, there's some gray area with a lot of this too. Like, so for one of the things that people have fought for is that it should be just about the paranormal side of things. So if you're going to argue with somebody, you should be arguing about, uh, you know, what it is that we believe, what it is that we've researched, things like that. So the argument, and it should be done in a respectful way, first of all, but so that the argument should be, uh, you know, you think that a ghost is a dead person. I think that a ghost is a thought form. Let's go back and forth. But we also understand that neither one of us knows for sure if we're right. The, the, mm -hmm. the problem where some of this stuff gets into is it takes a turn where it doesn't stick to the subject matter and it starts to become personal. And it, then the other side of that, though, is that people say, well, you shouldn't talk about people's personal lives in the paranormal. But what if we know that somebody is a registered pedophile and isn't telling people that? Or if we know somebody has a criminal record, they've, they're known for going in and, you know, they've been arrested and, and convicted of going into people's homes and stealing things. And, you know, the people that they're... Uh, working with should have a, an opportunity to know that that's the case. You know, like things like that are are where it kind of gets into a gray area because there's a difference between information, opinion, and personal attack. Yep, yep. Whew, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a gray area, and it's especially pr problematic too because I mean, if someone has like a DUI or a DWI, or they they may have stole like petty theft like twenty years ago. Eh, I mean, I, people live and learn and people grow and change. But, sure. but yeah, I mean, if someone's a pedophile or known for sexually harassing women, that's, that's kind of the, because <laughs> that goes into the, I, because um, I've had some unfortunate interactions with men in the field that have been, you know, like sending inappropriate photos and unsolicited um, and whatnot. And it's like, ugh, okay, but does, but does that need to come into an argument on Facebook? No. <laughs> um, like, oh, you think that my photo is not a ghost? Well, look at this. I'm going to dox you and find out all this uncomfortable information about you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, ha I've had friends that have had, you know, their personal conversations brought up that they don't even know how that person even found out about their personal conversations. But, you know, why should that have anything to do with anything? And, mm -hmm. you know, if, if, if I, you know, just, okay, let's just say that I like to put mayonnaise on my peanut butter sandwiches. Oh. I know it's gross. That's I tried to think of the grossest thing I could think of, <laughs> but let's just say that I like to do that. 
how does that affect the work that I do as a paranormal investigator? You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, you can, you can say we're not going to let Tim pick where we're going to go eat after the investigation. That would be fair. <laughs> but uh, to say that, you know, my opinions on, on ghosts would not be is a different story. Uh, number seven, oh, thank God that hopefully we're getting out of this, uh, out of this, uh, you know, now. But it is, it is certainly something that it, it was, it was like a lot of times if you looked at a paranormal page of like different groups, it was like search a word, you know, where you have to like circle the word that you can see the acronyms. <laughs> I think we are coming out of this, but, oh, man. <laughs> the acronyms are so important. <laughs> and so, so forced. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you get, like, like if someone wants the acronym GASP, it's, like, ghostly activity, spiritual paranormal. Like, okay, that makes no sense. <laughs> right. Um, gosh, I've seen some stretches to make the acronym ghost happen too, or, or, um, spirit. Um, I did see one clever one with Casper from John Stable and I was like, okay, cake, okay, you get a Bravo out of me for that. Cause that's, 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 that was actually really well done. Um, but yeah, the rest of them, it's like, okay, ha ha ha. Yes. We're a paranormal team and we're ghosts. Like, okay. Mm, all right. And by the way, there's 75 other paranormal teams called ghosts too. Yep. So you're not really standing out by doing that. Yep. Exactly. I've actually, I was going to say, I actually had somebody ask me once what spooky South coast stood for. Oh no. I'm like, I'm not, that's a lot of letters. I'm not that creative. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but but that's, I mean, that's the thing. There was a time when you couldn't be a group if you didn't have an acronym or at the very least, you know, you had to be the something paranormal society. Even if you didn't have yep. an acronym out of it, you know, you had to be the something paranormal society. And I understand you can't just call, you know, a, a, a paranormal group, you know, Fred. But yeah. at the same time, you know, there's there's enough of it because then that just led to all kinds of fights because somebody would come out and be like, we're the Boston Paranormal Organization. No, we're the Boston Paranormal Organization. We started that and we have this name for, well, we have .com. Yeah, but we have .net, you know, and it just turned into a whole bunch of things. But then the most ridiculous one, and this is, and I don't mind mentioning this person because this person and I have had issues and, and I, I think it's obnoxious. The worst thing is when you name the paranormal group after yourself. Oh, no. If there's other people. And I know I have some friends that have done that that are very nice people and that there's no ego involved in doing it. It's just because, you know, it's predominantly their family that's in the group. Okay, that makes sense. But when you have the one person that's like, this group is going to be called after me and I'm the only one with that name. You know, it's like when your band is called Bon Jovi and you're the only one in it called Bon Jovi. Wait a minute. That's a bad <laughs> example. But, you know, you know what I mean? There's, there's, there yeah. are groups that are like that. Yeah, and to, and I know there is some value in branding, like your name and stuff, but uh, not really in the paranormal, though. <laughs> right, not really. The you're paranormal. not signing a you're not signing a, a merchandising deal with Starter, yeah. where they're going to start making you know G H O S T Paranormal Society, whatever uh, you know, hats and selling them in Olympia Sports. So yeah, and you're not starting like a, a law firm where it's like you know, Alex Matsuo Law Group, you know? <laughs> right. 
And yeah. I, I guess the other part of it too is though, like, what are you going to call it if you don't do that? <laughs> That's the other part of it too. I mean, do you always need a name? Is a name that necessary? Right. What's in the name, as Shakespeare said? <laughs> and I think we're actually getting a lot out of the the groupthink mentality anyway, where paranormal groups are becoming less and less of an important thing, and it's more about people being individual investigators and just choosing who they want to work with on different things. Yep, yep. That's And, and to me, I always push for that anyway because then it gets you out of the group dynamic, which can lead to all kinds of problems on its own. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, moving over to number eight, you would you would kind of touched upon this a little bit too, but uh, you know, closed circuit television video coming in with these these you know these giant DVR systems. I you know running paranormal events for years, that was like my one rule. For people would always say, "What can I bring? Can I bring this? Can I bring that?" And I'm like, if you can bring something that you can take with you from, because we're going to move you through different areas. If you can move it from area to area to area with no problem, you can bring it. No closed circuit television. Because they would come with these DVR systems, they'd set it all up, and then they'd get it'd be they'd have one person that sat in front of it all night, and God forbid anybody blocked their camera or whatever, and it just ruined the investigation for everyone else. Yep, yep, yeah. Gosh, and I've and I mean I used to work for um, a YouTube channel, a list YouTube channel, and anytime we. Gosh, anytime they wanted a spooky topic out of me, they were like, "Okay, we'll use these videos," and I'm like. These are all CCTV videos, and I can debunk most of these, <laughs> like just from one minute of looking at it. And those are still so popular on YouTube, and it's incredibly frustrating. Um, but they're being used as like hardcore evidence, and you know, or photos of fairies and elementals on CCTV. And I'm like, guys, it's raccoons. <laughs> It's a raccoon standing on its hind legs. It's not a. T it's not like a creature from like the netherworld. So and yeah. it's almost uh, you know that's where you get a predominant amount of the the orbs and the shadows. Mm -hmm. You know, I see people that keep putting up. Uh, you know, even even some of them you know put their own you know uh, ring doorbell videos or what have you from their own homes. And it's like, but you should be able to pick this stuff apart. If you're going to go set up these systems into somebody else's house and tell them what's going on, you should be able to figure out what's certainly going on in your own home. That's just the headlight of a car driving by reflecting off your, you know, IR light. Yep. Yep. But, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, I guess it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's for a time, it's probably not as important anymore, but for a time, you're like, that system was the ultimate thing that every paranormal group had to have. And they, you had people that were buying them that had no idea how they worked, no idea how to set them up. And then you'd see, you know, two months later, they're trying to sell them on Facebook Marketplace. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's unnecessary. Stay away from it. Uh, and if, if, by the way, too, if you catch something on it, like, they're never going to put you on TV, talking about it. Those are the kind of, that's the kind of footage that they put on those, you know, caught on camera shows and things like that, where you can maybe talk about it for five seconds, but they're going to have other people talk about it rather than you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, because they're going to, they're going to think that you have a bias toward it. Uh, yep, exactly. that, that kind of leads us to into number nine, uh, which is something that, you know, I'm a, I'm a user of one particular app, which you mentioned here, uh, Echo Vox, but, 
most other apps I would just kind of throw away and say that they are, you know, there's, there's, they're, they're gimmicked. So many of them are gimmicked, but certainly a lot of them are created just for entertainment value. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And it's, it's frustrating too, because a lot of people who aren't paranormal people are using these apps. And so often I'm being asked what my opinion is on like ghost radar. And I just keep saying the same thing. It's, it's, it's for entertainment purposes only. It's, it's not legit. I mean, we can't even, we can't even define what a ghost or a spirit is right now let alone how are we building our phones to detect them? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, 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 that's a bit of a frustrating one for me. Um, and I always have to be super careful with the way that I word feedback about these apps because some people look at these apps and think, oh, my gosh, this is legit. And I never want anyone to feel stupid for using them. So I, I usually handle that as gentle, gently as I can. Uh, and then we'll just kind of moving up. Well, you know, just to go back to apps for a second too. Uh, there's a lot of information out there on most of these apps from people like, you know, people like Kenny Biddle, uh, skeptics mm -hmm. that have taken a look at these and torn them apart and broken them all down. And also like, keep in mind that if you've seen something used on television, uh, there is a little bit of a vetting process for some of that. Not always. You know, people still put Steve Huff's Wonder Box on TV because they're stupid and they believe everything that moron says. But the, um, uh, listen, it's a longstanding thing. Uh, the, yeah. the, but the, for the most part, there are people in the paranormal world that are looking at these apps and figuring out, because everybody wants to find the next best thing. And if you can find the next best thing and it's only 99 cents in the app store, then yeah, like let's use that because we, we can use that. But people are like, you know, it was John Tenney that told me things like Ghost Radar, that it works on the GPS in your phone and it knows where you are. So it knows that you're at the Lizzie Boyden house. So it's going to pull up the word murder. It's going to pull up the word axe. You're not getting a ghost telling you that you're getting the GPS telling you that. So, yep. and, and people just, they, they still pull that out on investigations. Like, well, let's see if there's any spirits on the ghost radar. Like, no, it, we, we've told you it doesn't work, but you just don't want to listen to it. Yep. Exactly. And that kind of leads into number 10, which are the skeptics. And, and again, people blend skeptics with cynics that people that are never going to believe are different than the people that need to have a preponderance of evidence in order to believe. Yep. Yep. I find skeptics incredibly valuable. I mean, they keep me on my toes. They keep me accountable and we need, we need skeptics. I mean, and to be fair, I know that there's some skeptics out there that aren't the most kind. Um, when it comes to, you know, when people are sharing material. But honestly, I think Kenny Biddle is one of the best examples of a skeptic that is kind, um, but also will hold you accountable. And I think that's one of the really important things in the field because we need that balance. Um, because, yeah, if we don't have that balance and we don't have someone keeping us accountable, then I think this field would just keep going, keep going down a, this, a weird rabbit hole <laughs> with no opportunity for like correction, education. Uh, yeah. We just need to stop demonizing skeptics. And as you say, viewing them as cynics, um, cause it's not true. And a lot of most skeptics I know are actually very open to having a paranormal experience. They just 
have different standards that would qualify a paranormal experience. Right. The, the problem is that there are just some cynics, I'm, I'm sorry, skeptics, uh, who were looking at it from, you know, the James Randi perspective. And, and not to mm -hmm. talk ill of the dead, since he just passed recently, but, you know, Randi was never going to believe in any of this stuff. And mm -hmm. he was very vested in who he was as being the person that would never believe in this. And that's led to a lot of people being in that mindset. The the James Randi, the Joe Nickel, the, the, the mindset of people that are never going to believe. And yep. you're going to start to see that mindset, I think, erode away. And you're going to see more of people like Kenny where it's going to be like, you know, hey, I'm willing to believe, but you just got to show me something that I can't put a hole into, and then I will believe. Yep. And I, I think we're just going to naturally make a, a a tendency to have people look at it from that perspective. Yeah. But yeah, then exactly. I'm going to wrap in 11 and 12 and even 13 kind of into the same discussion. You've got number 11, demons, 12, religion, 13, Ouija boards. We are bringing in too much <laughs> of an association with something that I'm sorry if anybody out there was religious, but... You say that, you know, there's no proof of the paranormal. There's no proof of any of this stuff either. Mm -mm. Nope. And my big thing with demons is, you know, especially when we have these demon databases with names and stuff, your demon might be somebody else's god. Yep. And it's, it's, it just kind of blows my mind. I find the perception of demons to be extremely, extremely manipulative. Um the, with the whole deity thing being a big one. Um, I mean, I've, I've had intense experiences with something evil that I don't know if I'm going to say it's a demon because I don't know. But also, um, you know, many people, when they have paranormal experiences, they do get scared and they associate that with something negative. Um, I mean, I have a ghost in my kitchen and he doesn't like it when we have stuff on the breakfast bar. I mean, we, we, last week or two weeks ago, we watched a bottle of taco sauce slide across the breakfast bar and off. For some people, they think, oh, that's scary, that's evil. I more saw as, okay, well, we left a bottle of taco sauce on the breakfast bar, he, and he just split it off because he didn't, doesn't want it there. That's, it's human. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a human tendency. Like, I get annoyed if there's dishes in the sink um, the next morning. It's that same thing, but and it's all about perception. It's not, it's just because you have activity happening doesn't automatically mean it's evil or it's there to scare you. It just, just may, it just might be happening just, just because. And, you know, and if you're going to be talking about people that are going out and looking into uh, residential cases, let's just say that I was a person that um, called in somebody, uh, a group to come and investigate my house. And you showed up and you were telling me about these demons and you were telling me about basically things that are in Christian theology. And I don't believe in any of that. It's not my belief system. I, you know, and so I'm just looking at this and being like, oh, geez, what are, like, these people are holy rollers. Like what the, like, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. You know, when you mm -hmm. get into the religious connotations of things, you have to look through it of the lens of the person that's asking help or even from the lens of where the activity might be coming from. And to say that it's a demon because that's what your belief set is, it goes back to number one of the ego. You know, you're letting your own beliefs and your own, your own ego and your own standpoint on things influence what the data is supposed to be telling you. Yep. Yep. Exactly. 
Exactly. I mean, Not everything's a demon. <laughs> I was lucky enough to, to, to get my feet wet in this world by working very closely with Keith Johnson. And, oh, wow. and well, I mean, we were fortunate that he was our first guest here on the program. He was, you know, he's local to us and, and he was teaching local classes. So we would go take those classes and we've just, you know, we've had the opportunity to learn at his feet and, and, and with Carl and, and uh, with Sandra over the years. And like he told me outright, he's like, chances are you'll never run into one in your entire career. So like you don't have to worry about demons as much as you do the only reason demons are everywhere now is because demons were everywhere on tv for a number of years so that's why everybody mm -hmm. thinks that everything that's even remotely negative it's a demon yep yep i mean i've i've been thrown against the wall by a ghost probably because i deserved it that didn't mean that it was a demon that did it it just meant that i was being a jerk Right. So, yeah. And, and then kind of tying back into all this is the idea of, of Ouija boards. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you on this. You know, Ouija boards are something that are just another tool. It shouldn't be something that carries a connotation with it. Well, and I see I made two YouTube videos about my experience with the Ouija board because I used one on Halloween during a full moon. No, Hellmouth did not open and swallow me up. <laughs> um but I got called like a bad influence. I mean, I was told I was being irresponsible and I, I said like, why? And they're, you know, and I personally, I don't think there's a difference between using a Ouija board and a, and a EVP session. Mm -hmm. um, and some people were saying, well, you're using your body to communicate. And I'm like, and we don't use our bodies on stirring ghost hunts. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just amazing how people don't see the similarities and the correlation. Um, I mean, because I had another person saying, well, we don't know what we're communicating with with a Ouija board. And I'm like, we don't know who we're communicating with during a ghost hunt. <laughs> exactly. Know, we don't know for right. sure. And, and, and the other part of it is, is they're letting the popular culture definition of a Ouija board influence what they could be utilizing as just another tool in an investigation. So, you know, I just think back to when George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM made a big deal about how on such and such a date he was going to use the Ouija board on the air live. And then he got all kinds of emails from people and calls from people begging him not to use the Ouija board, that he was putting himself at risk, you know, and you know, we've, we've used it here on the studio, in the studio all the time on the air. Like it's not, it doesn't, it, it, it only has the power that you give it. And when you start attaching that fear to it, you're giving it that power that it doesn't have. It's a piece of cardboard. It's a piece of wood. It's not inherently evil. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, but, you know, that's... It's also great marketing for the Ouija people, you know, to make people oh think that it is... Because far more people are going to buy it if they think that it's, you know... a gateway directly to the devil than if they think that it's just a game that's based on your idiomotor you know, tendencies. So uh, we, we kind of covered number 14, celebrities joining the field, so we can skip over that. We'll end it with number 15. And by the way, we're, we're not going to have time to get into to the second article, but definitely check that out. Uh, ways you can make money in the paranormal. It's just common sense stuff. Uh, but Number 15 on this list, the things that paranormal investigators need to stop uh, worrying about so much. Facebook groups. God, yes. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a fun one. <laughs> I get so many invites to join Facebook groups, and honest to God, it's all the same people in these groups. It's the same, like, thousand people in these Facebook groups. 
And honestly, having a big Facebook group, unless you're doing it like right, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No. And 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 the, the the problem with the groups are, you know, you want a group to be a place for conversation. You want a place mm -hmm. for it to be for people to share ideas. And you know, uh, we have for my weeknight show, Midnight Society. Uh, our friend Tracy runs a, a Facebook group that is dedicated to that show, and it's people that are listening to the show and talking about it and and discussing the topics or sharing things that they think other people in the audience would like. You know, that's what the idea of a Facebook group is. It's not supposed to be a, a place where you control and dominate a conversation, but listen, it goes well beyond paranormal as this being a problem. Ask anybody that joins, you know, a, a local mom's Facebook group and the stuff oh that goes God. on in those things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, VIP kid Facebook groups are crazy. Um, I mean, you would think the, the admins, you would think the admins thought they were God. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Um, it's a little bit of, it's the same thing that was happening for a long time with paranormal group leaders. You get a little bit of power. You're a, a big fish in a small pond and, and it goes right to your head. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and also just like, I have to be careful with this because I do post in a lot of Facebook groups, but I try to create authentic conversations from those post um but people just blindly sharing facebook live videos <laughs> that's such a thing in these groups now too like that, um, that aren't even that don't even have anything to do with it yeah exactly um yeah it's it's amazing or they'll or people will post live like facebook live videos like three times in the same group not realizing they've already shared it right um Especially oh, man, with the new the new Facebook, it's so easy to just go through and share in groups. And like, listen, if I'm trying to promote something, like I'm going to go, first of all, all the paranormal groups that I'm in on Facebook, most of them added me without my permission. So yeah. if you yeah. added me, I don't care if I stay in the group. And if I think I can give you some content that might make you want to come over and listen to the show, I'm going to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so I will go and I'll share it and all these different things. But I'm strategic about it. And I'm also respectful about it. I am in Facebook groups for other people's radio shows, I would never go into those groups and share a link for my own show without asking them first if it was okay. But then you go and you look at, you know, some, some of the groups that the people that come and post in the group that's supposed to be for my show. And it's like, everybody wants to come in there and promote their show. It's like, okay, but there are groups for promoting all shows. This one is yep. for promoting this show. Not that I care if people want to watch it, but I'm just saying the the audience that's in here is here for this show. You got to be respectful of what it is that they're there to engage with, not force feed yeah. them the content that you think that they want. Exactly. And yep. the, the other problem with Facebook groups is, and, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of this, the ones that are intent on uh, focusing on quote unquote evidence. Mm, yes. Those drive me nuts. <laughs> because they're never people that want to actually break things down and look at it and figure it out and debunk it and, and show people or even, you know, maybe the groups are started with that intention, but the people that are posting it, they don't want to hear the constructive criticism. Yeah, exactly. Really. They just want to brag about what they caught, which isn't even a ghost, but <laughs> I mean, I've, I've told this story before. I might've even told you the story before I started a, with a friend of mine, Dave Francis, we started a Facebook group years ago with the intention of helping people 
figure out what might be the false positives in their evidence. And we got Rosemary Ellen Guyler to be an admin in this group. We got John Zaffis to be an admin in this group. And people were calling us bullies because they would come into the group, they would post a photo, we would tell them, I think that's the camera strap, back when people had cameras with straps on them. And they would get so mad and, like, accuse us of being bullies and, and being jealous because they caught better evidence than we ever had. And I was like, like I don't care, man. Like, I just want to help you, and, and you, you can't take the criticism. Yeah. So it's a problem. It's an ongoing problem. I mean, the number 16, if there was going to be a number 16 on this list, we just have to be like, get over yourself. You're not solving, I mean, I guess it ties into the ego, but, you know, it, the, the paranormal is the great mystery of our time. But you're not solving it. You're not going to figure it out. You're just somebody else that's helping people at a small level to get a better understanding of it. Keep it in perspective and then you won't fall into a lot of these traps. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> right. Well, I think we, we got through all 15 and, uh, and I'm sorry that we can't get to the other article, but maybe we can have you come back sometime and, and talk about that one. Actually, I, I was strategic about it. I don't want you giving away all those answers about how to make money until I can do them all myself first. I'm broke, man. I need some money. No, I'm just kidding. It's a great article. You can go to Alex's website and read it. Uh, you can go to alexmatsuo.com, M-A-T-S-U-O.com, or you can just search for the spooky stuff with Alex and you'll find it that way. Uh, so you mentioned your TikTok. Do you want to give uh, your channel out on that too? Yeah. Um, you can find account? me on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook, just uh, at um, the, the, what is it, username? <laughs> Uh, the spooky stuff and you'll be able to find me. So, and I try to post funny stuff to not just debunk and lamenting videos, but I post funny videos too. So. Yeah. Very, very funny stuff. If you've seen a paranormal video that goes viral, uh, that's, you know, a funny one. Usually Alex is the one behind it. So. Uh, definitely definitely watch it one of, one of the whenever i do go on tiktok it's to watch one of your videos but it's not very often no offense because i just i get fed stuff that i'm like i shouldn't be seeing this i shouldn't be seeing you know 16 year old girls with very tight shirts on dancing and jumping up and down but maybe that's people tell me that's a problem with my tiktok but i delete the account i start a new one i open it up and that's the first thing i see every time so i'm like no, oh, it's, no. it's not a problem with my tiktok it's a problem with tiktok yeah. So, yeah. all right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Alex. This has been a fun conversation. I look forward to uh, hearing about all the emails and comments that you get from people about it. Yeah, 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 definitely. We'll keep in touch. All right. Thank you. Have a great night. Stay safe out there. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. And that will do it for tonight's edition of Spooky South Coast. We went a little bit long, but that's all right. We had some stuff to cover, and uh, and I want to make sure that we got to all of it. We'll be back next Saturday night uh, for Thanksgiving weekend. I do want to let you know we have, um, you know, of course, you know that I host a, a weeknight show called Midnight Society on Midnight FM that you can hear each night. Uh, all you have to do is just go to that website, midnight.fm. And uh, there's a player right there to be able to play it. You can also hear it on TuneIn. You can hear it over your Alexa device. You can hear it over the Paranormal Radio app. Uh, but generally, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily promote what's coming up on that program on this program because, it's, you know, it's a separate, totally different thing. But I will say that this coming Thursday, there's a program that will have a lot of interest for the local listening audience here on WBSM. We're going to be having a night where we talk about the ghosts of Plymouth 
with two of the best guests to talk about that. We'll have Darcy Lee, who literally wrote the book Ghosts of Plymouth, and we'll also have Jeff Campbell, who is a paranormal investigator and tour guide in Plymouth, who is always out there going to these hot spots, investigating with the people on his tour because they actually do investigations as part of his tour. And uh, and then he's also somebody who is very involved in, in history, local history, and helps to keep that alive. He's In fact, he's the captain of the New England Patriots end zone militia. So when you see those guys firing off the muskets, he's the, the leader of that group. And so they'll both be joining me on Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, to talk about the ghosts of Plymouth. So we thought it'd be a good way to kind of wind down the holiday, especially here in the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrim's arrival in Plymouth. And uh, and so check that out, midnight.fm. That program airs each weeknight from 10 p.m. to midnight. I'm sorry, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. This show is 10 p.m. to midnight. 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. on midnight.fm. And, uh, and, of course, if you've never heard that show and you want to hear the past archives uh, for that show, you have to subscribe. And that can be done at midnight.fm slash subscribe. Starts at just $4.99 a month and gives you access to a number of programs, not just Midnight Society, that we run on Midnight FM. All right. So that will do it for tonight's show. Uh, until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular.